Hey, Wonderfuls, welcome to episode 478 with my boy of summer, Mr. Toby Ball. This is very exciting because right now we are talking back-to-back episodes. Last week, I completed my collection of uh, the Hey Riddle Riddle group, and this week I'm completing my collection. What a creepy, I'm a collector. (laughs) Still, I am a collector. And this week I have collected my final crime writer. You know I love their podcast so much, so it is high time that I had the great Toby Ball on the podcast. I hope that everybody is getting through the world today. I'm just going to leave it at that and uh, stay well, and I'll talk to you next week. I also chuckled at uh, Rebecca deciding that you were the uh, metalhead of the, of the crime writers. Yeah. <laughs> that made me laugh. Yeah. Because <laughs> you, and you said like, I don't know, maybe more like Grateful Dead. Like, what were you, when you look at that landscape, because you and I are um, definitely from the era that Stranger Things was sort of, you know, set in originally. Were there things about that show or beyond that you were like, I mean, that's, accurate like I had those friends or I knew those kids yeah I mean some of it definitely was I mean the the riding around on bikes everywhere like I feel yeah. like that was definitely a thing uh yeah. sort of the Dungeons and Dragons underground was kind yeah. of a thing I think some of the school stuff is, is pretty right on uh and it, maybe it's the same now um yeah like, I don't know how like era specific like the lunchroom scene is like is it different like if you popped into the lunchroom in like 1983, is it different than it is now in 2022? Like I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I could I could kind of see it. It seemed to me to be more sort of reminiscent of like movie versions of that era uh, rather than the reality yeah, yeah. of that era, which yeah. um, you know, it seemed more ET-ish than it did, mm-hmm. you know, my actual high school or middle school or or whatever. Yeah. Um, where did you just so people know where did you grow up where did you go to to junior high and high school so um we moved all over the place until i was in fifth grade and then we settled uh in just outside syracuse new york upstate new york was the moving around a bunch because of your parents work or uh i think they wanted to you know do different things and have kind of adventures or whatever and Hmm. had kind of looked to see at what point does like the science of the time or whatever say this is when your kid's going to start making like creating bonds that they want to continue to go on and so i think they were kind of looking towards around that time to be when they were going to settle so we lived in like i was born in dc and then they moved to london and then i think back to dc for a little bit but then to amherst massachusetts because my dad got his uh doctorate at umass and then we moved to uh, Dusseldorf, West Germany, uh, while my dad worked on his dissertation, and then to New Jersey, right outside Atlantic City. And then right when the casinos came, we moved to Syracuse. Yeah. Wow, that's really... Do, and you have siblings? Yeah, I've got a sister. Okay. Three years younger. Is she younger than you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's like, that really is an interesting commitment, I think for, I mean, I'm not even a parent, but just for friends of mine who are parents, like, 
and you now know very well what I am about to say, which is like that's a very specific willingness to uproot when you have small kids like your thirst for change and adventure and like new territory or, you know, making sure that what your dad was working on. I don't know what he was getting his dissertation in, but um, it took him to Germany. OK. All right. But that you know what I mean? Like, it's a, can you imagine like having your kids like with you just a bunch of different moves to different countries and stuff like that seems like stressful to me but if it's worth it to the parents that really want to be in all those different places that's like a different thing yeah yeah it does seem kind of daunting i don't know if it was easier back then um Uh i i I don't know it seems like childhood is much more complicated uh these days just in all these different you know opportunities that are available or you know just things like like maybe this is going on in the 60s and 70s but you know these huge waiting lists to get your kid into a preschool right yeah or or things like that which it seems like if you're gonna be moving around all the time that's gonna be a tough one um yeah i kind of wish we'd done a little bit more when my son was younger but again it's it it does it seems it seems daunting like we moved up to new hampshire and we would go on trips and sometimes you know, we'd leave him with, with grandparents or whatever, but it wasn't, you know, we didn't try and like move to Czechoslovakia or, or yeah. Czech Republic or something and live live there for a couple of years or something like that, which my parents seemed like they were doing fairly frequently. Yeah. And then when you when you guys did settle down outside Syracuse, was your dad teaching? Was that like... Yeah. So, uh, yeah, both my parents were teachers. My mom uh, taught English in my high school. My dad, my dad taught English in my high school. Oh, he did? Oh, was your awesome. mom your teacher? Uh, when I was a senior. Yeah. I guess when I was a senior. senior, my dad was my teacher. Oh, really? You're literally the only person I've ever met whose That's parent was their English teacher senior year. <laughs> it was a good time to do it because you just, you know, you know everybody well enough and stuff. Yes. So it's not that weird. Yeah. Like, everyone had four years to know we were all going to be in a class with my dad for yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's so funny. I love that. Yeah. It was... Yeah, it was funny. There, there, <laughs> it was pretty clear to her when I had read my read my book and when I, uh-huh. I had. Um, yeah. So, oh, so we moved to Syracuse. Yeah. So my dad taught for a while, and then he got into school administration. And then when I went to college, he went and got his uh, master's in social work, and then was a therapist for the rest of his career until he retired. Were they? Were your parents kind of hippie ish? Uh, I feel like they were kind of hippie adjacent, <laughs> you know, I think a lot of their friends were hippies. And, uh, when my dad went to the, uh, UMass school of education, like, I think that was like a pretty radical, even for like the late sixties, early seventies, like school of education. So yeah, like a lot of their sort of cohort was, and certainly the pictures, they look like it, but I think there were certain aspects of the hippie lifestyle that they weren't completely ensconced in, I guess. Uh-huh. <laughs> Did when you had your mom for a teacher, you said that you could she could tell when you did do your homework or not, or read, did read the book or not. I was like, my experience of having my dad as a teacher was, I I I wish I could say like, I mean, luckily I loved English, which no surprise because obviously if your parents are English teachers, there's a good possibility that you might be good at it. But I would not have, 
I don't want to say I wouldn't have given him the satisfaction because that really sounds like I was revenge studying. But like I would not have wanted to create any kind of opportunity for my dad to scold me on anything or be disappointed. So I definitely was like super on top of all my assignments because it was, you know, because I was like, I don't need to add like weird tension where, you know, my dad already scolds me for like not making my bed in the morning. Like I can't, I can't take on anything else. I got to do all this stuff. Were you not like that? Were you like, yeah, I might get around to it. I might not. I Yeah, I feel like that was my attitude towards most things until uh-huh. I was like 25 or something. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, my, my parents were, were pretty mellow. Like I certainly wasn't going to get scolded for not making my bed. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, you know, I was just sort of like I like to read, but not necessarily the stuff I was assigned at school. And I wasn't like super dis- disciplined about actually doing things that I didn't want to do. Um, mm-hmm. So that that kind of, I, I just wasn't that jacked up to read like Great Expectations, right? Yeah. Or, or whatever. So, I mean, it wasn't like a point of huge friction. I feel like at that point, sort of my MO had already been established. So uh-huh. expecting <laughs> it to change just because I was in my mom's class instead of yeah. somebody else's class, yeah. I think they probably realized that that was... That probably wasn't going to happen. Uh-huh. Did you play sports? Um, you know, I did. I played one year of soccer. But again, this is sort of, you know, maybe this is a recurring theme. I liked playing sports. I did not like practicing sports. Mm-hmm. So after that, it was sophomore year, I guess. And then after that, I just played on men's teams in like men's leagues instead of playing for my high school. And then so that was fun. Like you like even like practices, you're just scrimmaging. And so it's just yeah. playing all the time instead of, you know, practicing five days a week and having a I coach didn't, scream I just at realized you. I had no idea that was even an option. Like, oh, you you could just skip out on high school sports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so I found that alternative. When I went to college, I played rugby um, for my last three semesters, which was really fun. But yeah, I've never been like, like I play a lot of basketball. I used to play a lot of soccer. But um, yeah, I was not like a big practice guy. I just kind of <laughs> like to play. So uh, does that extend to like musical instruments? Because there's a lot of practice involved in playing an instrument as well. Yeah, I'm just horrible <laughs> at musical instruments. I tried. There was uh, a year when I was living in D.C. where I kind of felt like I needed to do something to like, uh-huh. I don't know, just self-improvement in some way. And I decided that learning the banjo was going to be the way I was going to do it. <laughs> And uh, you picked I was, a super hard instrument. I was a disaster. I didn't uh-huh. even know it was a hard instrument. I was like, yeah, yeah. it's got like four or five strings. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it just seemed like nobody really played a banjo. So if I played a banjo, I'd be like the one person I wouldn't be compared yeah. to anybody and else. Did you, was there any Steve Martin influence there at all? God, I love Steve Martin. Uh, yeah, I guess probably a little bit, maybe subconsciously. Uh-huh. But Steve Martin from when I was like, I don't know, like nine or ten maybe. Has always yeah. been like my favorite. My friends and I used to be able to recite all his records and oh, sure. all that stuff. Yeah, he's awesome. Okay, we're going to take a break. I will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at Maximum Fun. Hi, my name is Graham Clark, and I'm one half of the podcast Stop Podcasting Yourself, a show that we've recorded for many, many years. And uh, at the moment, instead of being in person, we're recording remotely, and uh, you wouldn't even notice. You don't even notice the lag. 
That's right, Graham. And uh, the great thing about uh, this. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Okay. And okay, go ahead. And you can listen to us uh, every week on MaximumFun.org. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Your podcasts. I mean, this is going to really, yeah, sound like the, like, oh, back in the day. But I just thought about like being at my dad's friend's house. One of his best friends lives in in Denver and had like this massive LP collection and being there on a visit and like going through and finding his Steve Martin records and having that thrill of adrenaline, which is so absent from like looking for an MP3 or like pulling up Spotify or whatever, you know. And I, 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 I do miss that. Like the ways in which I got dopamine as a young person are fairly different than they are now. And and that was definitely one of the things was like going to a CD, a UCD store and finding like <laughs> a rare Cocteau Twins EP on CD. Right. Like getting it like oh, like no one else is around you and you still your fingers are like trembling. Like I got to get this before anyone else does. Janet, there's no one. No one is standing over your shoulder. Exactly. No one's going to take this from you. But there's still the sense of like, like urgency. Like, I can't believe this. Is this a mistake? Like, I loved that feeling. And there was social capital in that stuff too, right? Like, yeah. I remember in college, like kids who had like huge bootleg collections. Yeah. Like, oh man, that guy's got a lot of tapes. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's like trying to tell your my kids. Like, there was a time when you couldn't just listen to any song you wanted to at any time, right? Yeah. There are times when. Like, and I'm sure 80% of kids did this, but you'd be like listening to the radio and as every song ended, you'd be ready to push record to tape the next song in case it happened to be. And then there'd be some DJs who'd like talk over the first like 15 seconds of a song. You're like, ah, God, I gotta listen to this guy again. Or the end of the song. Like you don't, it has a really good ending and it just gets ruined by someone like immediately bursting in and talking about it. Yeah. (sighs) Stereo Steve at 95X. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, in Syracuse, used to do that quite a bit. Yeah, there's I, I I've I guess I've just like I've sort of accepted the fact that I am now the age where I ha- I have those stories. I don't remember like a natural transition from being in my twenties and being in my thirties and then hitting forty and like it didn't seem gradual. It seemed like out of nowhere, all of a sudden I had all of these stories about things that weren't true anymore. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know how that happened, but all like there was just a point at which I was like, God, I now I'm that person. Like I remember adults saying to me like, Oh, well in the old days you couldn't just put in a video cassette to watch a movie you wanted to watch. Right. Like that's crazy to me. And now, now I'm that person. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. And it's, it's sometimes I'm like, Jake, what do you what do you guys talk about now? Because we spend <laughs> a hell of a lot of time like talking about like facts that we weren't quite sure about. And we uh-huh. get in arguments about what was right. And now you can yeah. just like look it up on your phone. So like what what do you like? Yeah. What, are your, what do you and how do you about? and and that's so like weirdly existential and esoteric of a question. Like what is what do you, what does Jake say? Is he like, Dad, what do you what, what, are, what are you asking me? <laughs> Yeah. Or is he like, good question, I will tell you. I think he mostly rolls his eyes and uh-huh. it's just like normal stuff, you know, <laughs> music, girls, you know, politics. Yeah. I think with him, it depends on what friend he's like hanging out with. 
Uh, sure. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. It's weird. I remember when uh, I was reading this thing, Larry Summers, who uh, was the president at Harvard, uh, but it also had sort of weird connections to uh, friends of ours when we lived down in D.C. He had said something about how in the future, like learning facts is like almost beside the point because you'll always be able to get facts whenever you want. It's more mm. learning how to understand facts and interpret facts and you know, well, what you and do now what is it? What is a fact? Yeah, God. I mean, is that's that's that is kind yeah. of part of it, right? Now it's like, well, where am I getting? What's the source, and how reliable is the source? Yeah, and I don't. Weird yeah, thing. I think the fact that there's no there's no agreement about how you would evaluate stuff. I mean, yeah. I just kind of feel like that's that sort of there's such an infrastructure of sort of self uh, self supporting like knowledge on the internet so that if you like are on the right or you're on the left, you can always find things that confirm something that you read. You'd be like, Oh, yeah. I got to like make sure that this is right. And I feel like yeah. you can almost always find something that seems authoritative. That's going to back up that point. Yeah. Uh, this is such a non formed, like totally off the cuff thought that I'm having that it's going to sound like I smoked a bunch of pot and I'm trying to like solve the universe with you right now. But okay. just when we were talking about that, it almost made me think like, is the, is this sort of like what's real and what's not on the internet? Is it almost like some sort of response to the overabundance of accessibility of information? Like, like, do we not like having facts at our fingertips to the degree where like some part of human nature is rebelling against that and is like well maybe those facts are wrong because now we're like do you know what i'm saying like it's i almost wonder i don't know something about the what you something you just said made me think shit maybe maybe part of this is caused by the idea of like it's too easy to find facts and so we are a species that loves fucking around with shit and making things messy and making things controversial or othering or whatever and like of course we couldn't have a clean internet like when you hear think people like um like gerard uh whose last name i always forget but like who talks about the the origin of the internet the inception of the internet and how it was so flawed in its um original sort of structure that it was like building on a bad foundation where it could only have all of these cracks in it because of the way that it was uh incepted but now I'm like, God, would we ever have like no matter how we built something like this, would we have found a way to still make it unreliable in some way? Does that make any sense at all? No, it makes total sense. And I think that's I mean, I'm like not an expert about this in any way, but it just seems like that's always the way it is. Right. Is that people just have conflicts over things, even when they basically agree about things, but just going way, way back. I mean, to like, you know, Martin Luther, you know, it's like, we're all Christians, but I think you're doing it wrong. And here, you know, right. here's why. And yeah, now we're yeah. going to fight a big war about it. Yeah. So I, I do like, I think there's, there must be like some kind of inherent like suspicion and need to sort of assert, uh, your own kind of take as being, you know, the take or superior to somebody else's or whatever. So that regardless of how much you try and curate something, there's always going to be 
you know, some some space in which you can have a dispute over it. Right. And it's just, you know, I, I don't know how you I mean, I finally had to I had some friends who are who are pretty conservative and uh, and we just finally had to stop talking about that stuff at all. I'm just like, I don't I don't agree with your idea of what facts are. Right. So having a discussion any other way about anything else that's going on just doesn't make any sense because you think this is true and I'm pretty sure it's not. And I think this is true and you're pretty sure it's not. So how can we possibly have a discussion about this stuff? Cause we're not, we don't have a shared set of facts. Yeah. Let's just talk about football or, right. you know, music. But or isn't something. that interesting? Cause we, yeah. Isn't that interesting that we've just talked about, the president of Harvard saying, like, don't worry, empirical facts won't even be in question anymore because we're just always going to have access to that. And we have managed to like we have managed to combat that at every turn. Like we are finding ways to say, like, express in some way, I guess having a bunch of empirical facts is terrifying in some way. Like it's yeah. just must be so terrifying that we've had to fundamentally alter like the channels that exist in which you can find whatever empirical fact you want, which that begs the question, like, do you ever think to yourself, like, am I the crazy one? Like, am I not to say your friends are crazy, but do you ever think to yourself, like, what if I'm wrong? Like, what if because I continually try to put myself in that space just just as a thought exercise, like, well, everybody thinks they have the truth. So what if I'm completely wrong? What if I am like accepting quote unquote facts from from the media, from the outside that that aren't real? Like, again, it's never taken me to a place where I'm like, I've decided Fox News is trustworthy. But, right. I, but I try to I try to sort of go there just to not feel like I'm I'm so set. In my, I don't know. Yeah, I kind of like I do. Yeah, I mean, I, I used to like watch Fox News every once in a while just to like see what they were talking about and try and get a sense of it. And I've just stopped doing it because I just yeah. find it like too upsetting. Yeah. And yeah, you know, I've never really had that much doubt about it. I've had. I guess my my main thoughts have been about like, how do you assess what the truth is like? coming from these two, like from my viewpoint and from my friend's viewpoint. And, you know, I kind of felt like, and maybe this isn't fair to them, but that they had sort of these sort of ideological, like absolutes that sort of guided the way they looked at everything else. Mm. So that if something didn't sort of fit into this like set of ideas that they had, like they would be like instantly super suspicious of it. Mm. Uh, so it wasn't so much, yeah, it wasn't going from like facts and then making deductions. It was like having a bunch of things that you believe to be true and then seeing how the facts support that. And if there are facts that don't, it's like, well, I think that's not, that can't be right. So and it's I, like confirmation bias. Kind yeah. Of. Yeah. And I kind of feel, you know, I kind of felt that way about watching Fox news sometimes. It's like, okay, there's this narrative that they're just going to put this stuff into. And some of it's going to be true. And some of it's going to be partly true that they're putting a spin on. And part of it's just going to be just flat out BS. But yeah. it's all like building this one picture of, of this narrative that they're trying to put forward. Right. And, you know, I'm sure 
the conservatives will probably say the same thing. But, you know, I again, it comes like what what sources do you trust? Right. Like, do you trust Tucker Carlson or do you trust like The New York Times? Um, And, you know, what are the. I guess what are the checks? Like, what are the checks on the facts that you're you're getting? Because I, you know, I think there's a lot of places that that just kind of like a guy like Tucker Carlson. He just says a lot of shit, uh-huh. and and people take him seriously. So wild. And a lot of it's BS. And uh... I went to college with the guy, and every time the guy opens his mouth, I'm like, oh, God, my poor yeah. diploma is like, uh-huh. it's like. Uh, <laughs> The portrait of Dorian Gray. It's like getting all moldy and ripped. And yeah, when you were when you were a teenager, did you feel like you? I mean, based on sort of how you've described yourself, I feel like um, you probably didn't fit into this category, and and I didn't either. Um, but I had some friends who were like, I can. I'm thinking of two of my. You know, I, as an honor student, I was around people who were much more studious than I and much more um, worldly and sort of invested in like our reality and in politics than I was when I was 16, 17. And I so and I and I have two friends who are still friends to this day. And one of them is a staunch conservative, although I positive he doesn't he's not a like a Trumper. But and then the other one is like, you know, sort of died in the wool bleeding heart liberal in the most adorable, wonderful way. And they would go at it in certain classes and stuff. And back then, I just remember being like, I mean, my parents are both Democrats. Like, I believe in paying taxes and helping people out. Like, it was a very simplified version. And, you know, I at the time, I was like, Bill Clinton seems like a great president. Like, we're so lucky to have right. him. And, you know, my friend Maggie, who I was just talking about, was so excited that she turned 18 in time to vote for Bill Clinton. And then, you know, hearing my friend Robert, like already just excoriating Bill Clinton, somehow he had access to all this information that I was like, I don't know. He's just like a guy who run, is running for president. Like, I just didn't have that brain and I didn't have that investment. Did you? Um, and did you have friends who were like the people I'm describing? In high school? Yeah, I don't know how. I'm trying to think about political friends in high school. So I, going back to my grandfather, he was in government. You know, he worked for uh, Kennedy, uh, Johnson, and Nixon. And so, you know, we were a pretty political family. So I guess I had a lot of that stuff in mind. Like I wasn't really, I don't think I was super combative about it in, in high school. Uh, it was just sort of a, a given. I I probably got into, I'd probably stick up for my side in classes if we got into a debate or whatever. But I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a hundred percent into it. I did so after I graduated college. I moved to D.C. and I worked at a political magazine uh, uh, for seven years. And then I got way into it, obviously. Um, because that's what you're doing 40 hours sure. a week and all the your people you hang out with are in the same thing. And you're in DC, which is, uh, was that stressful? <laughs> I wasn't stressed at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I say I that cause time. I worked, I worked at the Huffington post. Oh yeah. Like okay. worked on there. They did. They created it like an online network, like a television kind of network thing. Yep. And we were live, like the East coast in New York was live for a certain part of the day. And then we would, 
take over for them as the day got you know grew longer and we were sort of representing the west coast and um it was the most stressed I've ever been. I was a basket case. I mean, I don't have a degree in journalism, so it was, it's hilarious that I got recruited. But their whole sort of idea was to have, you know, conversations. And I had hosted stuff. And so and I was had some measure of intelligence. But it was it was it was incredibly stressful. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, I was doing that when Sandy Hook happened. I was doing that for Obama's second term. Right. I was like being elected in. I was there for, you know, like. Hurricane the the Hurricane Sandy, but I was like, I I can't I can't do this. I mean, I had to extricate myself because I was just falling to pieces. So, and part of that was you know po- all politics all the time as well. So I was just curious if if you had that experience. But yeah, you know, I wasn't like a a reporter, like a straight up reporter. I was doing um like the early days of like data journalism, and then um I did this big project that we did with Time Magazine that was covering like every single uh, congressional and senatorial race in the country. Yeah, it didn't feel stressful. I mean, it was just kind of cool at the time just to be, you know, sort of so in depth uh, on the national scene and just know like everything that's going on everywhere. And that was during, you know, this is 96, I guess. So it was like sort of mid Gingrich revolution type stuff. So I, I, I feel like, there was a sense that politics was definitely changing and not mm. in necessarily a good way. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, it was, you know, I, I just found working in DC and now that I've left and my friends who are still there, like so much of it is about like personalities of people and stuff. Like there's, there's just enough like insider stuff where it's like, Oh, that guy's a jerk. She's really nice. You know, whatever that guy's an idiot but he does this and and so much of it seemed like sort of personality driven at sort of a sort of meta aspect of sort of the larger uh political trends and stuff no i mean i had a you know i had a fun cohort of friends and we would go to work and then we'd go out like the same group of people would go out i mean it was like a it was like a little cult or something we was just like <laughs> we were just this group that was together all the time I think Brandon was he he talks about that in the same way he used to be the editor in chief of the SF Weekly and they would be together all day and then they would it was like a foregone conclusion that they would go to the bar after they finished and there was something very like the and I think that was a very stressful experience in some ways just because of deadlines and being yeah. a, you know an indie paper a weekly paper but um but I feel like that's not uncommon in conversations with journalists that I've had through the years that there is this sort of like, no, we do stuff together. Like whether we are knowingly choosing that or not, it's just happening organically. Yeah. I don't know what, what that is. Like I look back at, at Congressional Quarterly and it was, it was like a young company. Like there's a lot of young people. Yeah. And we just, you know, I guess it started maybe with playing on the same softball team or, or whatever company softball, but there was like a pack of us, you know. Did you date within that pack? Yeah, yeah. I mean, my wife was in that pack, so. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a fair amount of, uh, you know, incestuous dating and stuff in that in that group and, and uh-huh. outside that group. <laughs> and then, you know, there were some honorary members who didn't necessarily work at CQ but hung around all the time. So yeah, it was really yeah. fun. We we had a great time. What was your dating life like when you were in high school playing? playing with the big boys in the uh, men's leagues. Oh, I I had a girlfriend uh, like junior and senior year. So that was really 
you know. You were settled in. I was settled in. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it was, you know, looking back at like high school romances, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. a little weird. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we were, we were pretty serious for high school type stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then it Did ended. you guys go and did you, you, obviously you did not stay together, but so did you, was that weird, like the ending of that sort of like, well, this has going to go its natural way because we've graduated from high school and we're not going to the same college. So, well, she was a year younger, so she was still in high school. I went off to college, and then yeah. I think when I came back from for Christmas break, maybe she broke up with me, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which you know seemed unjust at the time, but was mm-hmm. I think all for the better. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, I I think I. I I, I can't imagine like I do. I do have friends who had long distance relationships when they were in college. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it would def- definitely have been a different experience if we'd stayed together. Yeah. College. I can't. I There's no way I could have had a long distance thing. I think I was just too like all over the place. And I don't mean that in a sexual way necessarily, right. but I just just in terms of like where my attention could be held at any given time or. You know, I think that would have been, I, it's just, I just know it would have been impossible. Luckily, that was never tested. Like, I was never even in a situation where that, de- de- there was a decision that had to be made in that regard. Yeah, you know, I, I'm i trying to think about that semester. It's just different. It was different back then. I mean, here we are again. It was different back then. But, <laughs> you know, without cell phones and stuff, it was like, well, you know, we talk every couple of weeks on the phone or something. I mean, it was just, yeah. you know. Weren't you, as a college freshman, was there no part of you that was like, hey, like, this whole new world just opened to me? Oh, no. I was 100% like that. I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> I love this. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it sucked when it happened, but then I went back to school and continued having fun. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, oh, it's time for a quick break. I will be back after a word from our friends at Maximum Fun. Hi, it's me, Dave Hill, from before, here to tell you about my brand new show on Maximum Fun, the Dave Hill Good Time Hour, which combines my old Maximum Fun show, Dave Hill's podcasting incident, with my old radio show, The Goddamn Dave Hill Show, into one new futuristic program from the future. If you like delightful conversation with incredible guests, technical difficulties, and actual phone calls from real-life listeners, you've just hit a street called easy. I'm also joined by my incredible co-host, the boy criminal Chris Gersbeck. Say hi, Chris. Hey, Dave. It's really great That's to... That's enough, Chris. And New Jersey chicken rancher, Des. Say hi, Des. Hey, Dave. The Dave Hill Good Time Hour. Brand new episodes every Friday on Maximum Fun. Plus, the show's not even an hour. It's 90 minutes. Take that, stupid rules. We nailed it. All right, I like to play a game of MASH, which I can't remember if I warned you about or not. Other people um, warned me. Oh, good. Okay. That's good. I'm glad that you've received fair warning. Okay, first category, let's do a place, three places in the world that you would love to have uh, another home if we could sort of teleport you there so you don't have to worry about the travel part. Okay. Um, London, Costa Rica, and let's say uh, uh, maybe uh, Greek islands. Oh, okay. Great. 
Let's do an artist of some kind. It could be a writer. It could be a musician. It doesn't even have to involve like actual real life skills that you have now. But just some but three artists or bands or, you know, painters, writers don't care that you would love to have had the opportunity to collaborate with in some kind of way, in some kind of artistic way. All right. I, it's going to be hard to break out of my podcast mind here. No one's saying you have to. OK. I, uh, how about Tom York? Who's the. Uh, oh, yeah. One of the guys in Radiohead. Um who, by the way, does not necessarily seem like he would be uh, an easy person to work with. So I applaud. I applaud. Your yeah. Service. Well, I'm I'm trying to. Uh, I'm I'm not taking their personalities. <laughs> I think that's I think that's for the best. Yeah. Anybody anybody who sort of is functioning at potentially arguably genius level might just be a total nightmare to work with. Yes. And that's not, yeah. And that's not why we're here today. So I think you're making the right choice. And I yeah, I feel like he's pretty open about the fact that he's difficult to work with. Uh, yeah. Um Who else? You know, Patrick Radden Keefe, I really sure like the stuff that he's done. Got so many podcasters. Like I feel like I could like name a dozen and be still be leaving a bunch off. Uh all so, right, here, I'll tell you what. We'll do a s we'll do a category that's just podcast collaborations. Podcast collaborations. Oh, That'll God. be like the next section. Now you have to that's so you have to whittle down from your twelve. But this last person that you're giving me now is not a pod- podcaster. Okay. Uh last person I would say is uh Jordan Peele. Great. Okay. I'm skipping past the podcasting thing to give you a break. To co- We'll come back to it. Three foods that in this alternate universe we're creating, there are zero ramifications to you eating whatever this thing is that we're going to give you access to in perpetuity at the snap of your fingers. It's not the only thing you're eating, but you can have as much of it as you want. And no one, including you, is harmed in any way. Oh. Uh, how about uh, lasagna, ice cream, and... Uh... Korean barbecue. Great. I just, my mind, when you said lasagna, I really jumped the, to, of course, I jumped the Garfield thing. Not of course, but most people maybe wouldn't jump the Garfield thing. But I, it just reminded me like, I like lasagna, but I've never been passionate about it. And so I had that moment where I was like, God, Garfield loved lasagna, specifically lasagna. Yeah. Why lasagna? But it's my go to dish. You put it on the top of your list. I think I, I need to reincorporate more lasagna into my life. It's not, it's not required of you. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, no, I make a commitment to every podcast. You can make a, you can have a perfectly life. nice life without eating a ton of lasagna. <laughs> okay, uh, let's do our podcast collaborations. Oh God, <laughs> this is just brutal. Um, I'm gonna try and steer clear of like actual true crime. Uh, just because mm-hmm. I've got a lot of friends there and a lot of people I'd like to collaborate with, but don't sure. want to give anybody off. So other stuff that I like, let's see. So I like, I, he's not exactly true crime, Leon Nafok. Have you listened to um, uh-uh. Fiasco or Slow Burn? Oh, he's Slow Burn. Yeah, I've totally listened to all the seasons of Slow Burn and somehow I just didn't. Maybe he doesn't say his name very often. Well, he did the first couple and then he okay. left, I think. So he did the ones about Watergate yes. and Lewin- the Monica Lewinsky the thing. Mon- yeah, yeah. And then he left Those and were great. did Fiasco. We're actually, um, we're going to be reviewing this week one about the AIDS crisis. Oh, yeah. That he did, What's which is called? unbelievable. It's called Fiasco. Oh, that's Fiasco. Yeah, the AIDS crisis. I think I'm crisis. behind on my episodes with you guys because you keep reviewing things I haven't watched yet 
Yeah. Hence, I just listened to Stranger Things because I just finished the Stranger Things. So you're a, you're a watch first, listen second. Not necessarily, but I think if it's something I knew I was going to watch anyway, um, right. Then I will. Then I then there's a good chance I'll wait because I don't want. I would never just like fast forward through to listen to the non spoilers. So anything with spoilers or anything that I'm fairly sure you will be more critical of than I will want you to have been critical of before I've seen it. Right. Then I'm like, oh, I know I'm going to agree with everything he says. So why don't I just go ahead and watch it now and then I can enjoy it clean and then feel guilty later <laughs> yeah, exactly. for how bad it was. Get the self <laughs> um, uh, another Okay, thing- Leon. But that's good. I got to listen to the yeah. I gotta listen to fiasco. Yeah, he's really good. Another thing is, I, I guess I've like, I've always like sort of wanted to do like a uh, basketball podcast thing. So sure. my favorite basketball podcast is called The Goat, uh, which is Andrew Sharp and Ben Golliver. So they'd be fun to collaborate with. Nice. A- and um, Michael Hobbs, I think, yeah, is fun. Okay. Three movies that you can jump into whenever you want and you're not reliving the plot. You're just sort of living in that immersive world. Oh, Talented Mr. Ripley. Do you have to like living in this world or you can just envision it? I mean, it's your it's your decision. <laughs> However I want to do this. Because uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> there is like like the man who would be king. Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The Sean Connery. Yeah. Wait, yeah. it's not Sean Connery. Yeah, it is Sean Connery. Mike, it is and Michael Caine. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah yeah. 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 Like that's always seemed like intense at least. And... This wasn't a very good movie, but The Beach. Oh, yeah. I feel the same way about The Beach. Like, I, I, I like it more than I should for many reasons. I'm telling you that Danny Boyle, he's really he's really an interesting. He makes really interesting decisions what to work on and stuff. That's him, right? I'm sure it's him. I think so. I think he so. He didn't write it. The guy who wrote it is that one guy, Alex. Alex Garland. Yeah, Alex Garland, who was also really interesting. We just watched Ex Machina again for the second or third time. Oh, really? I really I, like I've, that I've never seen it. Is that the same oh, guy? You should see it. Is it the same Alex Garland? Mm-hmm. It oh, is. Wow. You should you should check it out. I'd be okay. really interested to see what you thought. I mean, it is very much a sort of exercise in you know, like the whole concept of AI and sort of human responsibility and like, I, I really like it. I think it's really good. I, I bet you would like it. All right, interesting. Ex Machina. Yeah. Have you seen uh, Severance? Oh, yeah. It's my favorite oh, show God, for sure. It's so good. It's right. so good. Yeah. It's so good. No, I like ha- was making, I had like a notebook. Like I was first, I, that, speaking of like getting dopamine, that show inspired in me a passion that I have not, that uh, that I associate with like teenage me being like, I need to know everything about Jodie Foster's career. I have to be the expert on Jodie Foster. Like somehow Severance ignited in me this like, no, I need to write this down because I think this is going to be important. It's going to actually answer a lot of questions we have about X, Y, Z. Yeah. And I was like, I don't recognize this person. Like this is the most actively I've watched something in a long time. Yeah. I can't wait for the next season. If they don't oh, do a second so season, good. I'm going to lose no, they, my mind. No, they are. They, oh, are. they are. I okay. know that they are because- we were originally we were watching it with a couple of friends and they were like, no, no, there's like 18 or 19 episodes. And it turned out that they had or they had looked at IMDb, which meant that like, oh, OK, so they were already picked up for a second season. OK, 
So it's it's definitely already we already know it's coming. All right. That's the meta anal- analysis. Of, Thank of God. That. Right. Um, I know, love it, but yeah, yeah. I think you check out Ex Machina. I think you'll, okay. I think you'll like it. Um, I think it'll be provocative, even if you're like you know had some issues with it or whatever. It's a very and it's like you know it just takes place in one one location. Okay. Um, it's one of those. Uh, okay. Uh, next category. Let's do three periods in time that you would like to see with your own eyes. We put you in sort of a safety bubble, so it can be like you know a specific event that you've always been curious about, what it would have been like to have been there, or it could be you know a whole era or you know primordial days, whatever you want. I would say late sixties Paris. Sure. Henry the Eighth, the court of Henry the Eighth. Have Amazing. you read Wolf Hall? I, d- I haven't read it. I watched the PBS, like the, the PBS not the same. rendition of it. I'm the sure it's at, not the, the same. The book is so good. I, the, all I three of those it. books are so good. Um, and then uh, a third one would be, I don't know. It seems like like maybe one of the, the great like Chinese dynasties. Oh, sure. Which I couldn't name. Or like name. the samurai like, era would be so amazing too. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. Next one. All due respect to your wonderful wife. Yes. Mash games do have crushes. Um, this is uh, alternate universe uh, romance, sexy times. Could be very brief and fleeting. Could be a long-term thing. Totally up to you. Three people, characters from books, movies, you know, people who ha- are now dead but were smoking hot once when alive. they were 40. <laughs> um, <laughs> but were once alive. So I think like any any guy my age is going to save Molly Ringwald from back. Right. I feel like she would rate pretty high. Yeah. Um, maybe Lisa Bonet. Great. Yeah, she's glorious. Yeah, she seems like she'd be pretty interesting to hang out with. So absolutely. Um, and how about Debbie Harry? Speaking of oh, fun to hang out with. Great, great, great. Okay, awesome. And then finally, let's do some skills that you would love to wake up with tomorrow and just be amazing at. Well, playing the banjo, of course. Uh huh. Got to get that in there. Uh, rock climbing, like right. uh, like Alex Honnold. Yeah. And uh, I feel like everybody probably says this, but like knowing a few languages would probably be awesome. It's a frequent answer, but it certainly would be one of my answers. For sure. Like, it would probably be number one. Um, Yeah, that's great. Uh, Okay. Give me a number between one and eight. Seven. Okay, great. One and eight? I'm going to... I'm uh, listen. I'm all over the place. Okay. I could have said one and twelve. Um, right. It's th- there's there's a lot of flexibility in my methods. Um, <laughs> okay, That's I'm going to go through and let you know which of these uh, different things you are going to end up with in this 100% guaranteed alternate universe mash future. Would you take a moment to let people know where they can find you, what they should be checking out, and uh, and then I'll I'll reveal the results. Okay. So twice a week and then just once a week during the summer, I'm on Crime Writers On, which is a podcast where we review true crime uh, content, sometimes true crime adjacent stuff. And that's podcasts, uh, documentaries, HBO series, stuff like that. Um, I have two series of a uh, podcast called Strange Arrivals, which is kind of about things kind of related to UFOs, but not 
in the sort of are UFOs real or or what are they? But sort of what 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 does it say about us and the way things work in our society that you yes. can kind of look into through the UFO lens? It's great. They're great. Thanks. And I've got three books, uh, three suspense novels. They're uh, set in sort of a fictional past. Uh, The Vaults, Scorched City, and Invisible Streets. And you can find me on Twitter at TobyBallNH. And that is about the only place where I'm active on the social media. Yeah. Great. Great. Uh, Can highly recommend all of those things. Are you going to do more Strange Arrivals or do you feel like you've sort of... I'm in the middle of the third. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Doing interviews tomorrow. How did you take the like announcement that NASA was going to be funding uh, some UFO research with the tiniest number I've ever seen dedicated to a, any kind of research with zero change in like administration? Did you see that? I, you know, I didn't see the details. I saw, you know, it's one of those things where there's always. Like I can't remember what the exact amount of money is, but there, there's always this big deal made. Like they they put aside twenty two million dollars, or something like that. I'm like twenty two million dollars is nothing. Like well, guess what this one is like fifteen hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, <laughs> it's a hundred thousand dollars. So that's like yeah, you know, ha- having worked at universities with grants that were a hundred thousand dollars, that doesn't go anywhere. No. It's like we get somebody's like, salary. We're not hiring any new personnel. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was super careful to be like, so you're like, oh, okay. So like one day a week, right. one exactly. person is, can get pulled off or something and be like, let's see what the internet's saying these days. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, <sighs> you know, one thing that I've kind of gotten out of all this is I've, I've been on UFO Twitter and there's such... Like everything that comes out about this is shown as like, see, it's happening. You know, it's drip by drip. It's all coming out. It's like, yeah, I don't think so, man. Like th- these aren't <laughs> like if the government really knew that there was life on other planets, I don't think this is the way they'd be letting us know. Right. But 100% correct. Anyway. Yeah. So I, I kind of saw it. I kind of saw the reaction, but it just, you know, it seemed like kind of an eye roll, to be honest. Yeah. It was it, it it honestly gave me it like kind of cheered me up for that day because it was so it seemed so silly to me that I sort of I was like, well, this is delightful. Exactly. <laughs> Go get him, NASA. I'm sure this is going to be the thing that moves the needle. Oh my God. So ridiculous. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I do feel that you will be pleased with the results of your mash game. Um I mean, there's there's a lot of variety happening here, a lot of variety. I want to congratulate you on your beautiful apartment in London. Nice. Having just returned from there, I know you did recently as well. I can agree that that would be a phenomenal place to have another home. I would absolutely want that as well. And yeah, so lo- lovely apartment there. You also have, while you were there and anywhere, unlimited access to ice cream with zero ramifications. Oh, perfect. Uh, have it as much as you want. You're good to go. You have the ability to uh, really travel back into a different time and culture and uh, get a get your eyes on uh, one of the great Chinese dynasties, which I think is going to be fascinating. You, I don't know how that's going to contribute at all to your work on the goat <laughs> with the guys from the goat, but somehow maybe you'll be drawing conclusions and making connections between things that you never thought possible. So that's happening. You have the ability to jump inside the world of the man who would be king, 
whenever you like as well. You are a phenomenal rock climber. And you maybe you'll do like a really weird, dark, funny rock climbing movie with Jordan Peele. Uh, that that will be that will that will bring some kind of like amazing dark satire to that world. We'll be like, oh, it's Toby Ball's movie about rock climbing, but really, it's about it's also about technology and corporations right. and the darkness therein. Um, so that's gonna be fantastic. And uh, all of this is happening uh, with the trusty old Molly Ringwald by your side. <laughs> My 14 year old dreams come true. <laughs> she seems lovely. And by the way, looks exactly the same and is a wonderful jazz singer and just seems like a really good person. So she's still out there being cool. Early on in Crime Writers, I had said something about that somehow somebody who kind of disappeared off the face of the earth uh, came up and I was like, yeah, whatever happened to Molly Ringwald? Like she was like ubiquitous and now I don't know yeah. what's going on with her. And that was the first time I ever got pushback from anybody on social media. Like, uh-huh. she's a very respected jazz singer. <laughs> you know, people are just like, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, that's uh-huh. <laughs> good honor. Isn't that kind of cooler in a way than like, I always love when people leave one, you know, sort of leave, like she could have, continued working oh, yeah. in film forever. And I always love when people are like, eh. Well, Alex Garland. Yeah. You know, he went from writing. I mean, I guess he had the beach was big and then his follow up wasn't as big. But now he's like, you know, he's making critically acclaimed movies, which I haven't yeah. seen. But um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whatever last one he did, maybe I didn't like as much, but I also can't remember what it was. Yeah. Uh, but I remember being like, ooh, Alex Garland's new movie. And then I watch it and I was like, um, watch I'll look back and realize I'm totally wrong about that but I'm pretty sure I'm not so uh, that is what is happening for you in this MASH alternate universe I want you to really uh, enjoy that and uh, I've enjoyed this very much the last thing I do uh, with my gentlemen of summer is invite you to try to conjure up some portion of Don Henley's Boys of Summer without any warning whatsoever oh god <laughs> when you say conjure up, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> Can you sing any of it? Can I sing any of it? Or what you or how many of it? What you what you think of? I can do like a spoken word version of it. Yeah, uh, that's all I need. That's beautiful. See, uh, out on the road today, I saw a deadhead sticker on a Cadillac. A voice inside my voice inside my head said, "Don't look back. You can never look back." I thought I is it, I thought yeah, I knew yeah. what love was. What yeah, did I know? 100%. Yep. That's I think that's as far as I get. <laughs> that's good. That's good because it ends on a real existential note. Uh, so I appreciate that. What did you know? What did you know about love? I, what was I, love? Nothing. And what is love? <laughs> nothing at the time. I think. When did that come out? That's like when I. That's a high school song. I think so. Yeah, it was it was definitely a a long time ago. But uh, I I only used to interview women on the podcast, not for any like incredibly boldly feminist reason other than that. I just felt like when I started the podcast 10 years ago, um, there just wasn't a lot of women in podcasting. So it was my way of like, let me get to. And then also just like, let me get to know a bunch of really amazing women in Hollywood who I'm usually pitted against for you know, a job and stuff in yeah. a way that's like kind of gross. Um, but then Steve, when I 
was telling Steve Agee that I wanted to start interviewing guys and I was going to do it in the summer. He was like, you got to call it your boys of summer series. So that stuck. So that's like my I like to tip my hat to him uh, by making people try to come up with a voice. Oh, really? So now there's going to be like (laughs) actors and singers and stuff who've also done this that I can be compared to. You got to do you got to do like a, uh, a like a compilation at the end of just like back I to should. Back. That's a really good idea. That's a People. really good idea. That's a really, really good idea. I don't know. I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that's never occurred to me. Um, you're so right. Uh, okay, great. It's another now one of my great ideas well. that means a lot of work for somebody else. But That is 100% what it means. <laughs> and it won't be me, which means probably it won't happen at all. But it's a great idea. <laughs> Toby Ball, thank you so much for doing the podcast. Well, thank you. Uh, it's really fun. Rebecca, Kevin, uh, Lara, if any of you are listening to this, um, I do also love and value all of your opinions. I just uh, the guilty side of me that is afraid that I'm not cool enough or intellectual enough always feels guilty and always feels like Toby must be right if you think something sucks. And as far as I'm concerned, you're still the metal head in the group. So, Rebecca, rest assured, (laughs) I still still love it. I love that characterization. Uh, Everybody, please check out all of Toby's wonderful projects. Um, Every time you listen to Crime Writers On, you can imagine me listening as well. Uh, It's one of my all-time favorite podcasts. And uh, speaking of podcasts, I'll talk to you next week, everybody, on this one. The show is produced by Julian Burrell and Christian Duenas. And as always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. Hey, remember when we could save kittens from trees? MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.